This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by myself. It is from John chapters 20 and 21. We finally finish out the book of John. If you want to find all those messages that I did going through the whole book, you can go to our website and uh, check out the archived Shabbat messages there uh, or on whatever podcast platform provider you subscribe to like apple Podcasts, they're all in there and uh while you're surfing the interwebs you can check out our website which is zionhebraiccongregation.com like i said you'll find archived shabbat messages there you'll also find my dad's weekly blog posts that he puts up which are worth the read um you can subscribe to those so they come straight to your inbox um, by putting your email in the little email subscribe box. Also, you will be, you'll get an email whenever we post a new Shabbat message as well, as long as, as well in there, in that email will be, um, uh, the message notes to the, uh, message. So you can see those and you can also find links on our website to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube and SoundCloud. And, uh, like always, subscribe to our messages on whatever your favorite podcast platform provider is. If you're in the southern New Hampshire area, southern Maine even, feel free to come visit us on Shabbat. We meet at 10 a.m. And our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. Check him out on Instagram at Evan Shaw Music and on his website at, uh, not at, www.evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. All right, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. If you want to turn, we're going to be in the book of John, finishing up in chapter 20 and 21. We're going to try to get through these. We should be should be pretty easy today. Uh, before we start, though, I want to draw your attention to the fact that um, I think today's the fourth day of the 12th month. So that means biblical biblical 12th month, which means Passover, providing that the barley is found and to be a viv, which it probably will be, looks like it will be based on what people saw this, this month, um, means that Passover is going to be beginning of, beginning mid-April, early April. And uh, so I'll, I should have tentative dates. I actually have already tentative dates for you that I can give you after we finish up. Um, today, so that you can kind of jot that down on your calendars. Um, also, uh, I've been listening to a pretty cool podcast lately. Um, I forget the name of it. The Joshua and Caleb Report, that's what it is. Uh, kind of a play on the spies, Joshua and Caleb in the land of Israel. And they basically do, they're a Christian organization and they do, you can go over there, we've actually talked about them in the past, and you can go over there and you can serve and basically do farming, um, uh, I'm not trying to say, volunteer, volunteer, and you can go and volunteer over there. But what's cool is the two guys that run it, they're, I don't know, probably my age, and they, um, they've lived over there since they were in their teens, but they, so, and they live in 
Samaria, Judea and Samaria, otherwise known as the West Bank, which is contested area right now. And so what's interesting is they kind of give you the pulse of what's going on in the land, which is pretty cool. And so what's interesting what's going on right now, which it's so Trump's administration came out with their deal of the century that's supposed to solve all problems in the Middle East. Of course, the uh, Palestinians aren't going to agree to it. They've already rejected it. But the problem is it's it, it actually, you know, anything that divides up the land of Israel is not good. Okay, and we should never stand behind it and we should never endorse it. And much of the plan that they, the U.S. has put forward would, would carve up Judea and Samaria, and some of these communities, including the one they're living in, would become these isolated enclaves surrounded by Palestinian territory. And we know how well that would go. Uh, and so, <clears throat> um, and much of it's a biblical heartland where um, Israel, when they went into the land, where they entered into the land, uh, it's where areas where um, I think um, uh, Joseph is buried, when Joseph's ban- buried, Abraham is buried. So there's a lot of like, it's, you know, it's the land of Israel. So we should be supporting a one-state solution that goes from the Nile to the Euphrates. That's, that's the biblical uh, land that we should endorse, not, um, not what would be, uh, you know, the U.S. endorses. And unfortunately, Israel's government is, is secular, and it is... <sighs> tied itself to the endorsement of the U.S. and whatever administration happens. And so what's gone on with the Trump administration? Well, he's been probably the most pro-Israel president that we've had. Basically what it is is they, they throw Israel some bones like, we'll move the, the embassy to Jerusalem, but you guys need to get on board with the peace plan that we've come up with which includes, and, and already has had immediate impact in Israel, includes they, they're not allowed to build anymore, and they're not allowed to expand. And so even in the areas they are, they won't give them approval to build more houses, and they won't allow them to expand into these lands, which there's Israeli territory lands. There's, they divide it up by A, B, and C lands. A is Arab, B is both, C is citizen. That's not where it's, what it actually means, C, but it's just a... An, an acronym, and so C is citizen of Israel. Well, the Arabs are building houses on the citizen of Israel area. They could care less, but it's the Israelis who have to actually follow the law. I think they should say, go to H-E double toothpicks, government. We're going to do what the Bible tells us to do. And so, anyway, there's some commentary for you, first thing. Um, but anyways, it's been it's been cool listening to, to them to just kind of get, uh, you know, information straight out of the land, which is pretty cool. So um, you can check it out. All right. But anyway, let's get into John chapter 20 and 21. We're going to finish up John and, uh, and then we're going to, I don't know, you know, we'll see where we end up after that, but let's pray and then we'll start. Heavenly Father God, I do thank you for the Shabbat, this time to be together, this time to study your word. I thank you that we have been grafted into your family as, as strangers and foreigners, but we are no more. And now we have citizenship with you and your people and even your land. And I just ask that you would bring the redemption and gather us back to your land and plant us in, in the land of your inheritance. But until that day comes, may we fulfill the roles that you have given us in the lives that we have where we are to be lights, to be salt, uh, to go forth, to make disciples. Uh, just as we're going to read about you tasking your disciples then, so we are tasked now. 
And uh, so I just ask that you would work in and through our hearts to uh, absorb your word, ingest it, go out and do it and live it and be strong and bold for you. And uh, pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so John chapter 20. We're going to just kind of read through this and comment as we go. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, the other thing I wanted to draw your attention to is my dad's bod this week was really good. I thought it was good. I liked it. <clears throat> I didn't know that they were beheading people with guillotines in Germany. Like, huh, oh, that's kind of sounds a little similar to what the Bible talks about. <clears throat> All right, John chapter 20. <clears throat> the first day of the week cometh, just to recap, sorry. So, Yeshua was just crucified. If you missed it, you can go back to last week's message and listen to it. But Yeshua was crucified. And he gets buried, and now, the first day of the week, Mary cometh, cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone was taken away from the sepulchre. And she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Yeshua loved. That's John, who's writing the book here. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they both ran together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. So he, we, we got John here, who, who goes in and sees, and he believes. He's like, oh my, you know, what? He actually did rise from the dead. So he understood. <clears throat> and, uh, I, just, where, I just lost my, okay. For, and, and believed, nine. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So I think he's saying there, like they didn't quite grasp until they saw. I think it's a type of thing where you, when you finally kind of see it, the light goes on and it clicks and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, wow. And you, and you believe and you understand. But it's interesting to me that, because, that they, he says here, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And so they didn't piece together that he was going to rise from, from the dead, even though Yeshua talked about it, and it was prophesied in the prophets. Uh, and, but, you know, it's one thing to, it's one thing to like read about it and to uh, learn about it, but it's another thing to actually uh, understand that, uh, you know, it's actually going to happen, and it's actually going to, you know, materialize. And so... You know, I think once he finally got in there and he saw the, the body not there, then it finally clicked and it finally dawned on him the things that you read because it's always like that. You know, you can kind of read about it. It's like uh, learning something new. It's like you can read about it and kind of have an intellectual understanding, but the, the actual fullness of understanding and the revelation and the faith that comes with it is a whole nother is a whole nother aspect basically so um i think that's what was going on here 
And then uh, verse 10, then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked at the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Yeshua had lain. And they said unto her, uh, And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she said thus, she turned herself back and saw Yeshua standing, and knew not that it was Yeshua. <clears throat> Yeshua said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Yeshua said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. So, for whatever reason, when he finally says, Mary, she, she realizes that it's him. And so it's interesting to me that you know, so Yeshua has his risen body, right? His, I think, glorified body. And I think a picture of what we will have when we, when the saints rise from the dead. It, we, you know, you're not some glowing, mystical, roby thing, whatever. You, I think you're this, this similar or same as what you have now, but, but perfected. And so uh, Yeshua talks to her and she doesn't quite realize at first that it's him. Maybe he didn't look as haggard. I don't know. <laughs> And then, uh, uh, and then, and then she finds this Mary, and she picks up and then says, "Okay, it's it's a Miriam, actually, not Mary. Uh, you know that it's that it's him." So Yeshua said unto her, "Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God." And I think it's cool that 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 that's what he says to go and tell them. I ascend unto my father, your father, and to my God, your God. And so he's making this connection that I'm getting ready to leave, but I'm going unto my father and he's your father and my God, which is your God. And we serve the same, same God, same father, get the same sustenance, same power, same strength and energy that he draws on. So we draw on that as well. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure, to be perfectly honest, why he says, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascending my father. Because later on, Thomas, you know, touches him. So, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe if you guys know, you can enlighten me. <clears throat> and Mary Magdalene came, verse 18, and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. And they had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Yeshua and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Shalom Aleyhem. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Yeshua unto them, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. So I want to stop there and kind of go through this and, 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 and talk about it. So he, he appears unto the disciples. They're all come together uh, for the end of the Sabbath. and, and uh, But they've gathered in 
in secret, essentially, for fear of the Jews because of everything that has just gone down. You know, they killed, they crucified Yeshua, their master. And so they probably weren't the most popular people at this point. So Yeshua says unto him, peace unto you. So, and then he, and then basically, because we don't have much more that he's going to say to them as we head in through the end of John, and then he ascends into heaven. Uh, but the, you know, so we get a few main things and you know, points that he wants to drive home to them. And they all kind of relate to the same thing that it's like, I've come, I did what I needed to do, I've taught you, and now I'm sending you forth to do the work that remains, which is the gathering in of the exiles and the spreading forth of the word of God to make disciples, uh, to build the kingdom of God for when he returns again. So he says unto them, um, as my father hath sent me, even so I send you. It's kind of the, you know, it's a great commission, so to speak. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now this is at least, what, the second time? Like, because the first time he said, uh, um, oh, I forget, I should have looked it up. But he gave them the, the, Holy, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Now they're getting it again. And then they get it again at Pentecost, right? So <clears throat> it's not, this isn't a salvation thing. They weren't unsaved. They didn't, they did, they, they didn't not, it's a double negative, they didn't, they weren't without the Holy Spirit already. I believe all these guys were believers, were saved, and they had a Spirit of God, the seed of the Word of God living inside them. But what the Spirit of God does is, is it's like the wind, we know this. It, I believe, is the active outworking of God in a situation for a specific purpose. Because the first time we see the word ruach used is the Spirit of God hovering on the face of the waters. And it's, it's doing something. So it's, it's preparing and, and preparing something in a situa- certain situation for a result that God wants to happen. And so as he's going to send them out into the world, he's giving them his spirit, this extra, if you want to say, or this power and what's needed in their lives so that they can go forth and do what he's, he's equipping them essentially. And God equips us with the spirit, his spirit, which is his word, which is knowledge, which is wisdom, all these gifts basically that he gives us that enables you to just do what you were supposed to do. We tend to get all enamored with the gifts of the spirit where that's not so much the point. It's he gives you the equipment to do the job that we're supposed to do. The point and the, and the exciting thing is what we're supposed to go forth and do. It's like equipping a soldier to go out. You know, he's got all of his neat equipment, his knife and his gun and his flak vest and his helmet and night vision goggles and all that's cool. And we get all geeked out on that. But what's the point of it all? It's to go do the job. That's what we're supposed to get excited about. But we as people who like shiny things get all excited about the shiny things and miss the whole point of the thing. It's just a tool. And so God gives us the tools through his spirit so that we can go forth and do his work. And, that's, and it's going to play into what he's, gonna be, what he's talking about in verse 23. Um, and I want to read a note by John Gill about that. So he breathes on them. Um, so they are given the task to 
go to the world with the gospel to make disciples, so he breathes on them the Holy Ghost. It, uh, it's that unseen energy from God to complete a task or cause something to happen. So, also, what was kind of cool, and I just listened to this on that podcast I was telling you about, so they pr- prune vineyards, right? And so, they, it was cool, they just read through on the internet, it's like pruning 101 or whatever, where you prune a vineyard. And so the Bible uses, surprise, surprise, agricultural pictures to explain spiritual, i.e. unseen things. And so Yeshua is the vine, my father's a vine dresser, uh, you are the branches, I prune you. So you got to prune the vines, the, the, the branches way back so that then they can produce fruit. If you don't, it turns into a hairy mess and not much fruit actually gets produced. But what's also interesting about that is you have to prune it back such that there isn't too much leafy growth, outward pride of man, so that the wind can blow through the vines, which keeps the fruit from getting moldy, which is really interesting to me. So again, what's the wind, the spirit doing? It's going through the believers, the vines and branches, so that the fruit that they produce is good, right? It's a tool that God gives to enable the people, the vines, to produce much fruit. And um, so anyway, I think that's what he, why he's giving, them, he's giving them this, because now he's leading. They're going to be on their own, and they're going to need his spirit to guide them, to bring all things to their remembrance. And it's the same spirit we have. It's the same spirit Moses and Abraham and David and Joshua and uh, Jeremiah and, and Peter and all these guys had. And so we are given the same, the same spirit and energy to complete the task. And for better or for worse, we're that generation carrying forth the torch of that mission. <laughs> so, okay, now 23. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Okay, so that, that's in context with, 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 with what's going on in 21 and 23. So we got to be careful not to pull it out of context. It's in the context of them going forth to make disciples, right? Them going forth to... Uh, be sent as Yeshua was to go forth to teach the word and to and to preach. So, when you when you, when you initially read this verse, it seems like they're going out and they're forgiving people's sins, and they're saying, "Well, your sins are forgiven, your sins aren't forgiven." But that's not actually the case. The the how the proper way to understand this verse is it's talking about the individual. They're supposed to go forth into the wor- world, speak His word. And then the individuals will either respond to that word or, and their sins will be forgiven, or they will not respond to that word and the sins won't be forgiven. So I want to uh, read this note really quick because it was pretty good. So this is John 2023, and, it's a, and uh, this is by John Gill. It says, Whosoever sins you remit, God only can forgive sins. And Messiah, being God, has the power to do so likewise. But he never communicated any such power to his apostles, nor did they ever assume any such power to themselves or pretend to exercise it. 
it is the mark of Antichrist to attempt anything of the kind. Oh, interesting, huh? Who's, who's going around forgiving sins? and Antichrist, <coughs> the Pope. Uh, who, in doing so, usurps the divine prerogative, places himself in his seat, and shows himself as if he was God. But this is to be understood only in a doctoral or ministerial way, by preaching the full and free remission of sins through the blood of Messiah, according to the riches of God's grace, to such as repent of their sins and believe in Messiah, declaring that all such persons as do so repent and believe all their sins are forgiven for Messiah's sake, and accordingly they are remitted unto them, in agreement with Messiah's own words, in his declaration and commission to his disciples. On the other hand, he signifies... So, let me pause right there. So basically, he's saying what I just said, essentially. If you break it down, they are to go forth and to preach the word of God, and then the people will react as they react. They will either repent, and God himself will forgive their sins, or they will not react, and uh, their sins will not be forgiven. It's a, it's a cause and effect type of thing. Because like, like Gil just said, the only person who can forgive sins is God himself, Yeshua, his son. Their power was never given unto the disciples or us. Okay, on the other hand, he signifies that whosoever's, uh, whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. That is, that whosoever sins ye declare are not forgiven, they are not forgiven, which is the case of all final unbelievers. So it's not a, your sins are not forgiven. It's a, it's a declarative statement of the facts on the ground is what he's saying. They don't have the power of forgiving sins or not forgiving sins. They are stating the facts of what's going on, which is, which is the job of the leaders, right? They are supposed to declare to the people their situation so that they will see what state they're in and they'll, Lord willing, repent. Okay, so, uh, which is the case of all final unbelievers and impotent sinners who, dying without repentance towards God, and faith in the Lord Yeshua Messiah, according to the gospel declaration, shall be damned and are damned. For God stands by and will stand by and confirm the gospel of his son, faithfully preached by his ministering servants. And all the world will sooner or later be convicted of the validity, truth, and certainty of the declaration on each of these heads made by them. It's great. No, he's just a great, he really sums it up well. So hopefully that all makes sense, but essentially to recap, it's, it's the disciples were not given the power to uh, forgive sin or to say that, well, you're damned and going to hell. They were to go forth, preach the word, and then try to convict the people, and then they could declare the facts on the ground of what the situation and, and the heart condition of the people were which is what we're supposed to do as leaders, as people, um, family members, friends of unsaved believers. And so, again, it's, it's God saying, your God is my God, my God is your God. You have a relationship through me with the Father. You have the power and the information and the equipping of the Spirit of the Word to enable you now to go forth and to do the work that you're supposed to do. He's kind of wrapping it all up for them because he's, 
He's not going to be with them anymore, and they can't lean on him anymore. It's time for them to grow up and to go forth now, and uh, it's, it's not going to be smooth and peaches and cream and, and pixie dust and rainbows. Like, they are the point of the spear in the beginning, you know? And, um, and it carries on to this day, and I think we're now, I know at least myself, feeling what seems like maybe we've got another thousand years, I, I hope not, but the, the footsteps of Messiah. Even so, whether he's coming next year or in a hundred years, we still do the same thing, is the point. Okay, keep going here. 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Yeshua came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger in the print of his nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Yeshua, and the doors being shut, stood in the place, and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, my God. And Yeshua said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and have yet believed. And many other signs truly did Yeshua in the presence of his disciple, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So, pretty cool. Uh, so you have, I have quote-unquote, Downing Thomas, who, who doesn't believe and he's not there with them. Um, and I think it's interesting that this even happens and it's written about in recording. And I think, I think it might be, I think it's kind of a lesson for us that there's, there's different... I don't know how to phrase this, different believers. So some are, you know, we're all a little different. And some maybe need a little more, whatever, I don't know, real, uh, visceral experience. Uh, and, so, and what's interesting, too, is God doesn't discount that. He doesn't say, well, hey, sorry, buddy, you, you know, you're, you didn't have enough faith, you know. Like, no, he accommodated that in a way, if I can put it that way. And so, it's pretty cool. Yeshua, again, being the most balanced person to ever live, uh, navigated that properly, and, and maybe quelled some issues that could have been there because he didn't believe the other disciples either. So that could have been a, 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 a place of dissension and, or a point of dissension, uh, but, it, but it wasn't. And so, I just, I, I don't know, I think there's a lesson in there for us. And uh, so, chapter 21, we'll get through this. After these things, Yeshua showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on the wise showed he himself. And they were, uh, they were together, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, We will go with thee. And they went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Yeshua stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Yeshua. And he saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? 
And they answered, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple that loved, uh, that Yeshua loved, saith unto Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the little ship, for they were not far from land, but it was, as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on there, and bread. And Yeshua said unto them, Bring ye the fish which ye now caught. And Simon Peter went up, drew the net to the land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three, and for all that for all there were so many, yet not, ugh, I can't read, yet was not the net broken. And Yeshua said unto them, Come and dine. dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing uh, that it was the Lord. Okay, so, uh, we'll, just, we'll go a little bit further. Yeshua then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Yeshua showed himself to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So, third time that he shows himself. So they're, they, they, so they're hanging around, so they see... Yeshua, uh, these two times, first time when they're all gathered together, Thomas isn't there. Second time, Thomas was there. This is now the third time. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how long it was. Maybe we have more information, but how long it was between these two visitations. But at some point, Peter's like, all right, well, I'm going fishing. I'm, we're, you know, we're just hanging out. going to go back to what I've been doing. We're going we're gonna to go fish. And they don't catch anything. And then Yeshua shows up and he says, well, cast on the other side of the fish. On the other side of the fish. On the other side of the boat. On the right side. And so he does, and they come up with tons of fish. And I kind of think, I mean, there's probably a lot of, you know, deep spiritual meanings in this. But to me, it kind of points to the fact that, you know, you've been living your life, you know, as a fisherman, kind of doing things your own way. But it's time now to fish, you know, for men and do it, do it differently. You're going to fish now my way. You're going to go out, you're going to fish the way I've taught you, and you're going to bring in a big harvest is what's going to happen. And that number there in verse 11, 153, I, I, I couldn't find it again, but there's, there's, there's controversy about uh, gematria, and, and, and you can go off the deep end with it. But to me, there's... There's way too many coincidences for it to be completely irrelevant. I mean, you know, you can get into the deep end of insanity and come up with all secret messages, uh, and lots of people have written books about that. But, um, but this 153, I forget what it stands for, it, but it stands essentially for, like, the children of men, or um, it's like the gathering of his, of his people. I forget the specifics, as I, I have it somewhere and wherever notes somewhere but um so it's pretty interesting it's interesting because the bible doesn't give you rant numbers just just because well they had 153 fish neat you know there's meaning to that and so so that was that's pretty cool because again it ties into you guys have been doing things your own way now live and 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 fish for for men what the way i've taught you and you will fulfill the promises of the covenant to bring in the scattered exiles of my people and whosoever will join themselves to them. And so, uh, and so again, the issue is just kind of 
recapping things and injecting some final wisdom into his disciples before he leaves. Um, 15. So when they had dined, Yeshua said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Uh, And he said unto them, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. And he said unto him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Yeshua said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he spake this, he said unto him, Follow me. And uh, so he, he says, you know, three times to Peter, Fall, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And again, it's just reiterating unto him and, and finalizing in these last, you know, times that Peter gets to be with Yeshua. I think to just try to encourage him and strengthen him to go forth because, you know, Peter just denied him. And, and I think, I'm sure felt horribly about that. And now Yeshua's back. He's actually alive. He's risen from the dead. You know, yes, I love thee, Lord. But now I think Yeshua is trying to encourage him to, to carry on, to not let his own mental weakness get him down, but that he needs to be strong, carry on, and, and do what he's supposed to, fish for men, bring in the exiles, and feed his sheep. That's why I think three times he's reiterating this to him. Then Peter, in verse 20, turning about, see it the disciple whom Yeshua loveth, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? So he's talking about John. And Peter, seeing him, said to Yeshua, Lord, what, what shall this man do? So, so Peter, if you're confused about what's going on here, Peter looks at John, looks at Yeshua and says, well, what about John? What's he, what's he well, you know? You're telling me, feed my sheep three times. What about him? And uh, Yeshua said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So he's saying, he says that to Peter twice. So he's really getting after Peter. Uh, and then he says here, If I will that he tarry till he come, what's that to thee? So it's, it's a very Hebraic way of saying, if I make him live eternally for the rest of his life and do whatever, you know, what's it to you? In other words, you focus on yourself. Do what, you, do what I've told you to do. Forget about everybody else and, and, and everything will go okay. And uh, the, verse 23, which is, which, to back up, which is really good advice for all of us. We tend to get all bent out of shape on, you know, trying to get the rest of the world and everybody else to do what they're supposed to do. Whereas if we would all be brutally honest with ourselves and look at ourselves and get our own act together, and as the famous Elvis song says, clean up your own backyard, uh, it would be, the world would be a lot better place. You know? And that's what Yeshua wants us to do. 23. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that this disciple should not die. 
But yet, Yeshua said not unto him, he shall not die. But if, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Uh, so I find it so interesting that John puts that in there because what tends to happen within the believing community? You know, some teaching or some understanding of some verse and some passage will just go like wildfire through, through the community when in fact the whole basis of what of the understanding of what was said in that within the context of that passage is not what's spreading through the community. So the truth of it is, so Paul, you know, John's saying here, Yeshua's point was wasn't I'm gonna live for forever. He's the point was forget about John, do what you're supposed to do. And he said, but Yeshua yet Yeshua said not unto him that he shouldn't die. So it's going through the community. Yeshua said that John wouldn't die. But Yeshua didn't say he wouldn't die. He's saying, if I decided that he wouldn't die, what's it to you? He didn't say that he was going to die. So again, you know, the importance of what does the scripture actually say? Put it in its context. Stick to it. Uh, and don't add to and take away because that creates all manner of mayhem everywhere, which is what we see and have seen for forever uh, within all facets of the quote-unquote believing world. So, this is the disciple which testify of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Yeshua did the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So there's the end of John. We made it! I don't know how long that took, but we got through it. So anyway, I hope that was a blessing, and I hope you guys got something out of it. I certainly did. I thought it was, it was fun to really go, go through a book and... I don't plan on doing it again anytime soon, but uh, but it was it was definitely good to do. It was fun to do, and 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 I think just as kind of we've done every other week here, going through Book of John, it's good for all of us to kind of do that in our in our own lives, in our own reading. You know, to read the Word of God, go through a book, really kind of get into it, meditate on it. I would encourage you to like. I tend to slow, so slow, in, but then you lose the force for the trees, right? Because you're just like, wow, look at that leaf, but you miss the whole context of the, the whole ecosystem of everything working together. So it's good to get a macro and a micro view of things. So it's a good idea that when you're reading your Bible, some, maybe the first time you're going through a book, if you haven't been it through it in a little while, just just go through it. Don't Don't look anything up. Don't try to stop if you're a little confused on something. Just just keep going through it. Because sometimes you'll be reading something, you'll be like, huh, huh, let me look up what that's mean. Whereas if you had kept going three more verses, you'd kind of put it together. And so it's better for us to start formulating our own understandings and our own foundational belief structure and, and grasp of what's in the word of the God for, for us as individuals because we all have the Spirit of God in us. All these guys who you can go online and look up their commentaries, it's just their opinion. They're just some other guy. Who the flip cares if they have degrees under their name? They've got the same Spirit of God as I have, and if I decided to write a commentary, there's as much validity to it as theirs has. Thank you very much. So, 
I used to have a friend and that drove him crazy because I would say, well, they're wrong. And he's like, well, how can you sit, you know, blah, blah, there, this, that, and another thing. And I'm like, no, I have as much, I have as much grounds to, to state a true opinion as they do. I mean, they're just, we're all just people. Who cares if you have a friggin' degree? I mean, it's great to have education. It's great to understand languages. And there's people, obviously, I, I'm not saying that I'm um, the be-all, end-all, but my point is all of us are perfectly capable of understanding the Word of God because we have the Spirit of God in us. So when you read it, go through a whole book. Just get through it. You know, maybe you might not be able to do it in one day in one sitting because some of them are big, but, you know, get a good topographical overview of it. It's one of the, some of the best things that you can do. And then you can go back through and, and uh, you know, really dig into it more if you want to. Um, but just read it. Just read it. And, and if, you, if all of us just left commentaries alone, left Hebrew alone, left Greek alone, and just read our English Bibles on a consistent basis and just got through it relatively quickly, I think our overall grasp would fill in so many holes that we tend to have because, because our our understanding of this book is so segmented. Whereas Hebrew thinking, action thinking, they, they didn't do that. It's really a very Greek way of study. They, when they would learn from their masters and their rabbis, they would put the teachings to song. And so it would go through, you would sing through it with a rhythm and with a tempo, which, which enables you to remember it, which then you can kind of chew on it and, and things get pieced together on their own, just as a matter of fact. It's kind of like, that's why we remember songs so well, is because they're put to a tune, they're put to music. Anyway, all that to, uh, all that to, you know, for, for free. So let's pray, and then we can take discussions afterwards. All right, well, let's pray, and we'll close. Heavenly Father, God, again, thank you for this day, and your word, and uh, the truth of it. Help us just to discipline ourselves to get in it, be in it, be transformed, be renewed, uh, be washed by the watering of your word, and that we would then grow and produce the fruit, and that our fruit would be good and uh, preserved by your spirit blowing through our lives. And so I just thank you for all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hey. Mighty warriors arise